ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. And I'm here as ever with Chad Campbell. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good, Parv. It's uh, back to our early morning routine for me. <laughs> we usually... Uh, used to record for me early in the morning and now we're back to it so we, we seem to have shifted to a thursday slot rather than a, our traditional sunday slot yeah thursdays uh, are usually good for me because i can work from home i have that luxury so any uh hence, any hence news i'm recording a podcast instead of uh, quote-unquote working <laughs> right now <laughs> any um any news uh on your on you know for you <laughs> yeah i don't i don't believe i don't think uh i've got anything new nothing much been going on what about with yourself well i've only uh been in the process of selling my flats here i've accepted a bid i've put in a bid on another place and all that's going ahead i have to say it's one of the most stressful things ever um being part you know i, I bought this flat before but i was a first-time buyer um mm-hmm. So there was no chain and I was buying it off plan. It was brand new. But now I've got a buyer and, you know, there's a chain and, oh, God, it's... Uh, what, what do you mean chain? What does that mean? Well, a chain means, you know, um, somebody's buying off me. We're buying off someone else. They're buying off someone else. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 got you. Timing so, issue. Yeah. So it's all, you know... Um, it's like I, I had a missed call from uh, the estate agent the other day and it kept me up and I wasn't able to get back to him. And I was like, oh, God, what's happened? Is the buyer pulled out or what? Because, you know, there's quite big sums of money involved. So mm-hmm. I, I, I said I didn't. I don't. I only want to move maybe one at a time in my life, I reckon, because <laughs> it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, we worked. Um, we, we dealt with that last year. So last year, our house was on the market for uh two weeks and we had two offers and one we kind of they were bidding against each other one pulled out we ended up with one but they wanted us out of our house very quickly so we had a quick turnaround so then we had to buy the house we're currently in in a very quick manner and just trying to get the loan approved which takes time and everything was kind of a mess we ended up having to stay uh me and Jennifer had to stay at my parents for like a week because we had to like a week in limbo where we had to be out of our old house but couldn't move into our new house yet. Um, so that was frustrating. But yeah, it's 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 definitely a pain because especially like then we had the logistics of actually moving the stuff and everything else. So it's it's definitely annoying. Yeah. Sorry, everyone, for starting the show with such super duper adult <laughs> stuff. I mean, I was trying to watch your footage for this show. And literally, I, I think I have to pause every single match to reply to an email right. or take a call. Yeah. Or it's just such a pain, you know. Anyway. Well, any- now, 
And, uh, like, do they have, because the thing here is, like, if you're buying houses, you can request certain stuff to be done. Is, is that a thing over there? You know, like, the buyer of our old house wanted us to fix a couple of things. Yeah, and you have to you have to pay us, like, 500 pounds to get a survey report and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, what, yeah, the, that's the part that annoyed me the, probably the, the most. The costs keep on going up and up, you know. It's like, oh. right. Anyway, um, let's uh, let's get on to wrestling. Um, you know, you asked me before, Chad, if I got my smile back. Yes. Well, well I have to say, watching this stuff today uh, for this show, because we're doing the 1991, uh, the 1992 special, everybody, uh, for the TV, um, kind of did put a smile back on my face, because this era is just so awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I've also been watching some old episodes of Superstars. You know, it's a bit like, uh, I don't know, it's a bit like Bob Dylan in 1990 or something like that, where he was a bit washed out and felt, you know, he went back to his roots, went back to listening to his old blues and stuff. And this is what I've done. I I feel like I've gone back to my wrestling roots here, my bread and butter. (laughs) So so we're about to get time out of mind, Parv. Time out of mind, Parv, yeah. Good knowledge, Chad. Very good knowledge. Uh, Speaking of that, uh, I should mention the part three of my... Uh, top 100 uh, oh, man. artists has come out and uh, <laughs> you know there's a few more better known artists on there and I've had a bit yes. more kickback off this I had a, <laughs> I had one friend who said he's going to boycott um, he's going <laughs> to He's going to boycott part four because I put Outcast above Paul McCartney. So. Yeah, well, I, I saw that you put Biggie Smalls and Torius B.I.G. above Paul McCartney, and I uh, immediately had to message Justin about that. Uh, interesting choices in that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm talking Paul McCartney solo, and there's a lot, yeah. there's a lot of rubbish in Paul McCartney solo. Oh, yeah. It, it, just, it just seemed odd. The Outcast thing was a little odd too um I'm, I'm still angry about the white stripes i, I don't i don't understand that <laughs> I, I, I like elephant well enough but i no, no way I, I pink floyd i found is one of the best things that i listen to when i'm working actually um especially the uh album animals i listen to that all the time while i'm working <sighs> well okay <laughs> all right so uh yeah if you haven't checked that out uh it should be currently trending as the as the top topic on place to be which is the only reason i do it chad i'm only joking (laughs) now now you don't have you really don't have a lot left though in the bag it felt like a lot of the heavy hitters um (laughs) well i also have to take you a task you combine joy division and new order come on man that was ridiculous (laughs) Well, they wouldn't have made it otherwise. Oh. <laughs> when I saw that, I knew this was a shoddy list. <laughs> okay. Um, so, just before we start this 92 uh, TV stuff, Chad, I've become very interested in all the different shows that WCW had going on at this time. Oh, um, And I've just, uh, very brief, this won't take too long. Um, they basically had five shows on air, Okay. Saturday night, which is the old WC World Championship Wrestling, the old GCW TBS slot. Yeah, so 605. That, that's the 605, the one that used to come from the studio with all the flags, okay? Right. They had WCW Worldwide, 
which is the show that I used to watch when I was 10 years old in 1992, because they, for some reason, showed it at two in the morning on ITV. Um, and that was the syndicated show. Um, and I think not everybody, even in 92, not everybody had TBS, right? So, you know, some people. Uh, yeah, not, I mean, not everybody, but I would say most people. Um, but yeah, Worldwide seemed to be the one, you know, that was the one they syndicated out internationally or whatever so yeah and we and this one thing i've been trying to get to the bottom of is well why was jesse ventura on worldwide and not on saturday night it seems just seem they were paying him so much money why wouldn't they put him on their a show um so that's just something i've been wondering about then they had pro which is actually the old uh mid-atlantic syndicated slot uh he's got a legacy back to 1972 basically that was bob coddle's old show then there was main event, which was basically Bill Watts's slot that they bought uh, when they with the Mid South purchase, and that went out on Sundays on TBS. And then there was Power Hour, which was a, the original show that they started in 1988, uh, which was basically I think Jim Ross always been always been into Power Hour. It was always a Jim uh, Ross. No, I, I know that there was a couple of times where I think somebody else was well, maybe just him and um hayes or whatever but yeah generally now, just what, him. what what i thought would be interesting to do is just compare over to what wwf had at this time and they also had five tv shows so they had prime time that was the usa cable show went out on mondays um they had superstars which is their syndicated a show uh saturday and i would say probably superstars was the flagship um, even though primetime went out on cable, I think Superstars was always the biggest yeah, show. Yeah, primetime by this point was doing the panel, the panel thing. Yeah. yeah. But even even if you look in the 80s, primetime was kind of like... Uh, yeah, kind of, um, we're going to discuss the happenings and, and look in on some matches, kind of from a bird's eye view. Yeah. But not your big... Um, and, you know, your big uh, kind of, I guess, the podium interview segments that you remember with Mean Gene or some of the big angles that would happen and the uh, tapings like Brother yeah. Love, stuff like that. That was all superstars yeah. in and general. I, I actually think younger stars get confused with that because they see that primetime was a precursor to Raw and assume that primetime was the main show. Right. Um, uh, then there was Challenge, uh, which was the syndicated B-show, went out on Sundays. And then they had a B show on USA Network, which was uh, called All American. That was actually on um, a Sunday morning slot that they bought yeah. from Joe. I, I, I don't know if they bought it, but they it was the same slot that Joe Blanchard had with Southwest Wrestling back in the early 80s. Um, so that's just an interesting legacy thing. And then there was a show, which I don't think I've ever seen, called Spotlight. We couldn't get it here in the UK. And that was basically a secret a C show, a syndicated, a highlight reel kind of clip show that went out on Saturdays at some time. Um, and I found out all sorts of weird things about that show. It was fronted by Sean Mooney. And um, apparently in 1990, there was some weird angle on there where there was a character called Ian Mooney, Chad, <laughs> <laughs> um, who was basically like a doppelganger of Sean Mooney, um, <laughs> but was actually played by Sean Mooney. Well, I have oh, to come I have, on. I have to track that down. But Spotlight was never shown in the UK. Um, anyway, the reason why I wanted to go through all of that was because, as we're going to see on on this show, 
the WCW hierarchy is not as clear cut as the WF one. Like it clearly superstars is the main show. Um, with prime time, probably the second most important and then challenge third. Um, and then all of the other stuff is just highlights and, you know, you'd never get a decent match on challenge really like once in a blue moon. Whereas on WCW programming, it seems to me that you could get really good matches on power hour or main event or even pro sometimes. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you, 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 yeah, everybody it, would show up on all the shows. There's more uh, variability, certainly. Um, I, I would still say, like, 605 and Worldwide were the two biggest. But, yeah, I mean, as you'll see with uh, a lot of the matches we watched today, a lot came from pro. Um, and they kind of had a good, like, they would do, like, a good compact 10 to 15-minute type match, it, it seemed like. And they would do pairings but I, I think just overall like watching this TV showed how much I guess quality TV and wrestling matches they were pumping out compared to WWF because even as bad as some of the 1993 Monday Night Raws are and there are some really bad Raws that year at least when they started Raw they would be some long form matches I mean even something like I remember a match on one of the earlier episodes of Raw, which is like Fatu versus Bret Hart. I mean, that's that's a decent match, but I mean, that's even something you were unlikely to see even on Superstars in 1992. Yeah. I mean, you, I, I, I've been watching some Superstars, and it is literally jobber, jobber, jobber. And I'm, I'm trying to, I mean, I live tweeted it. You can uh, follow me on Twitter. What's my handle? At Jerry Von K. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I remember one of the main events was something really, really pathetic. Like, um, it was like literally Scott Casey versus... Yeah. It was really poor, you know, Haku or something. Yeah, uh, I mean... And, yeah, it seemed like WWF, they would tap out with like a three-star tag match. That would be like your biggest hope, you know. Um, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting, um, and I, I I was just curious as to why they spread it around so much. Um, and I have been like, there's weird things like I think Power Hour or Main Event actually used to show in Canada, whereas uh, Saturday Night didn't, and things like that. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting that I think they spread it around because different shows reach different eyeballs, so they needed to like give I don't know Sting exposure across like all five of the shows say just in case a certain market missed out on them or or whatever it's just just an interesting a weird thing really because um it's not the way we think about wrestling tv typically uh although i mean you are right that saturday night and worldwide are the main shows but i'm just saying they seem to spread out a bit more spread the love (laughs) yeah i don't i mean i guess wwe programming there's so much now but um, and, and, and this happened very briefly when they started the show, but I mean, like, you're not going to have John Cena wrestle on superstars or main event now on the network. No, never. And, you know, Rude and Sting were pretty prevalent on something like pro. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I'd even argue that pro was like the fifth, the fifth of the five shows. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I for me it's kind of interesting because I guess it's just what you're nostalgic towards. Um, yeah. Because actually, like I, I, I mean, I remember six oh five, but to me, the number two show I remember is Power Hour, just because that came on at a good time on Saturday morning when I was able to watch. Um, and then for the WWF side, it's actually All American, which is kind of weird. But I remember that would come on. Um, it was either right before we left for church or right after. I, I, I can't remember if it came on at like 9 a.m. on Sunday morning or noon, but it was it was right in that sweet spot where I knew I could watch that then and then either would be coming from church or would be going to church. So that's kind of nostalgic. Um, I'd watch Superstars too, but uh, not, not never really, I guess, really remember – watching something like worldwide or a challenge as a kid. I'm sure I did. I just don't have the distinctive uh, recollection where I can remember like the superstars theme songs or specific stuff from all American with gorilla monsoon and Bobby Heenan that I haven't seen since. And I guess this goes to the point that I was making about the different eyeballs and different markets. Cause me over here in the UK, I, the only WCW show that I could watch was worldwide. And that was the one you know, I used to come on at two in the morning. I'd set my tape recorder to right. get that and Prisoner Cell Book H. And then I'd have like a lottery of, as to whether it actually taped or not, because <laughs> I'd say <laughs> one in two, it wouldn't. Um, and then like typically a sky would show prime time. I seem to remember watching quite a lot of, um, and I'd I have to go across the road and uh, go to my mum's friends to watch that. We used to watch, uh, she loved Lex Luger, Chad. She was a six-year-old woman, and she, <laughs> she loved Lex Luger. <laughs> Sexy Lexi. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just a different, I guess you have a different memories based on what you were able to watch. Right, uh, right. Um, whereas now, basically, people are used to being able to get hold of whatever they want. So it's just a different time. Let's, uh, shall we get in onto the first match? Um, sure. This is uh, weirdly starts on Saturday night, but finishes on main event. Oh, yeah. Um, from 1 it's Dustin Rhodes versus Arn Anderson. What do you make of this one? Yeah, kind of a, uh, I guess, an infamous date in wrestling history because 1 is the first ever New Japan Tokyo Dome show of on course, January yeah. 4th. Um, that we watched that show, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's kind of interesting that this aired on that same date as that. Um, so, so you, this was really a match that, and we got a, a lot of overlap. Um, I mean, it's, it's almost the same, what, eight or nine guys that we're watching in almost all these matches. Yeah. Uh, so it may get a little repetitive, but kind of the simple story here of Dustin's the, uh, fired up, you know, young baby face going against the cagey veteran, of Arn, um, I, I thought they did a really good job in the early going of showing kind of Arn's heel tactics and Dustin kind of hanging in and not succumbing to them. Um, Paul Lee, which we'll talk about over the show, but I thought Paul Lee added a lot of nice little touches uh, in many of his matches. Here, they just cut to a random shot of him talking on the phone. So I don't know if he was talking to Gary Michael Capetta <laughs> at ringside or. Uh, what what was going on, but uh, the match kind of breaks down where Arn is uh, 
getting his leg worked over by Dustin. Then he's able to take over and he focuses on the back, which there's a couple of, uh, there's a match coming up where he also focuses on the back. And I actually watched the other match before this one. I watched these out of chronological order. So that um, while this this work was good, I didn't think it was exceptional like in the match we'll get to. Um, at, Ross is calling this uh, solo. Yeah. And I, I thought this was a pretty annoying Jim Ross performance. <laughs> I've got actually. exactly the same note, phone Jim Ross annoying here. Um, I I mean, again, I know this is right when the Braves were doing their turnaround, but even as an Atlanta Braves diehard fan, you know, listening to this now, it's, you get tired of the Steve Avery references, um, which is kind of funny because I mean, yeah, Steve Avery was this real kind of prospect, uh, pitcher. And now if you hear Steve Avery, you think of uh, Making a Murderer, which is the Netflix documentary. Um, so he, he kind of flamed out there. Uh, Paulie cracks Dustin over the head with a phone. Arn now kind of shifts and starts working over the shoulder, ramming it in the steel, uh, steel post. Um, he goes for a pile driver on the floor, but gets back body dropped. I thought Dustin had some good punches here. And then you kind of have the, uh, we ramp up to the finish of WCW Saturday night where Eaton comes off the uh, top rope, but Dustin is still able to kick out. And then Steamboat comes out to even the odds for the baby faces. Uh, as Jim Ross frantically signs off the air. We flip then to the main event where Eaton trips up Dustin, but he kicks out. Now Austin comes out along with Barry Windham, and uh, eventually the match, I guess, just kind of gets thrown out. I don't know if there actually was. I, I don't think there was an actual winner. I think it was just a no contest. Eventually it should have been as Eaton and Windham both got in the ring. Um while, while I like the strategy of kind of, okay, we're going to you know, throw it to main event as a hook for that show, I thought what we saw on main event was kind of cheap, where you have this 20-minute match with all this groundwork, and essentially on main event we just see a run-in and a cop-out finish. Uh, so, so I didn't kind of like the strategy of how they executed that. Um, I thought if they'd have done a big upset or had something else in mind, it'd have been much more productive as a veteran versus young, uh, person match. I thought this was well done. I uh, ended up giving it three and a quarter, um, and, uh, thought both guys looked good. And this was kind of a good start to the set of matches. Yeah, I mean, I just love this era of WCW TV chat, you know, the, the feel, the setting, the workers, just the whole the whole package. Um, I thought this was actually a weirdly technical match, you know, head scissors, hammer lock. I mean, it was kind of kind of an old school feel to start with. Um, you know, we had a bit of the leg versus the shoulder, basically. Um, quite a lot of phone cheap shots, I thought. Um, and uh, this is going to be a theme of a lot of these. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of phone action. Uh, the near falls were pretty hot. Um, yeah, I was around the same, Chad. Uh, three and a half. Of course, I don't give the three and a quarter rating. Um, <laughs> although I did find that this was one of the few matches I actually originally watched on the yearbook back in October 2011. Uh, do, you want to, uh, do you want to hear what Parv in 2011 said? Uh, let's see what <laughs> wet behind the ears uh, Parv had to say. I said... Um, Probably the best Dustin match I've seen, and I've seen all of his pay-per-view matches from his WCW run. 
So I was trying to get myself over with a tough crowd. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Love the brawl at the end. Uh, Dangerous Alliance was such a cool group. When I think of Heyman, I think of this Paulie first and the ECW guy second. So there we go. Trying to get over my old school credentials in 2011. <laughs> so, so what we've learned there is Parr's been a dick for over five years now. <laughs> so let's move on to the second match. Um, because it's Sting, Steamboat, and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. And I thought this felt early for Bagwell, January of 92. Yeah. yeah. Um, taking on Rick Rude, Steve Austin... And Larry's Abisco, and it's pretty early for Austin, too, because he's got the long hair, which I really don't like. I hate the Austin with the long hair. <laughs> and uh, it's almost like the reverse Rude moustache. You know, like when Rude loses the moustache, he loses it all. Well, when Austin loses the hair, he gains it all, as we're about to see. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, when he shaved, yeah, I'd say when he completely shaves his head is when he finally makes the jump. Um <laughs> So what do you make of this? Yeah, this this one's actually the the least amount of notes that I have. Um, I mean, I mean, I thought this match was fun, but it it kind of falls into a more, I guess, formulaic uh, sequence where Bagwell's kind of the underling for his team, and they actually kind of presented Austin that way too on the Dangerous Alliance, which I thought was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, and then they really sort of build up towards Sting and Rude. As a as a confrontation and and watching these matches again, we'll get to more stinging rude confrontations. But it kind of felt like they sort of dropped the ball and should have done a big singles match between those two um, on pay per view to me. Yeah, it, I mean it was interesting that the the rivalry seemed to be rude sting, not rude steamboat. Given yeah. given the pay per view matches, so yeah, it's like as great as those pay per view matches are, and and a lot of these tags even. You know, when they match up in uh, October as we get to down the line, I mean, they're still really, the crowd is still really hot for that pairing. Um, so, so yeah, this kind of followed a pretty basic premise. I thought it was, you know, a good kind of popcorn six-man. Bagwell ends up getting pinned, which is pretty predictable uh, with the Bobby Eaton leg drop off the top rope as he's pinning someone else. Like, it was kind of like a cliche finish. Um, so I ended up giving it three stars, N- you know, nothing special, but enjoyable while it lasted. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the six men, you think, well, Bagwell's got to be the weak link in this matchup. Right. Um, you know, both in terms of kayfabe and wrestling ability, really. Um, and I was, when Bagwell tagged in, when the faces were on top, I was waiting to see how long it was before he lost advantage. And I counted, it was like less than two seconds. <laughs> Which I thought was some pretty giant barber shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> that was really uh, Shades of All Japan booking. Um, I thought rude selling of the arm ringer was hilarious. Um, and uh, we got an absolutely amazing arm drag by Steamboat at one point. And uh, one thing I just wrote in my notes here, Eaton's backbreakers are just awesome. Him doing offense on Steamboat is all I really want to see from wrestling. So there we go. Um, it, it's, I felt it was just a joy to watch some of these guys work. Uh, solid match. I gave it three and a half. So, Yeah, I, I will say, um, you know, Dangerous Alliance, Bobby Eaton, and the pay-per-view stuff, uh, he, he felt kind of like a non-factor yeah. for the year just watching the Super Shows. 
and I did think watching him in these TV matches kind of helped his, I guess, resume for this year overall. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, so he, he seemed like a player watching these matches, not just kind of an afterthought. A, a lot more significant, seemingly, like not just in terms of what he was doing, but also like his stature within the group. Right, like right. He, he doesn't feel like the fifth man. He seems like maybe the third man in some of these matches, you know? Or yeah, it almost almost feels like he's kind of like the glue um, yeah, and somebody's yeah. holding everything together because, you know, he can... He can sort of talk some sense into Rude. He's he's Orange partner. He's kind of a mentor to um, he's a mentor to Austin, and then he can also kind of you know Zabisco has I, I don't know what his personality is, but you know somebody that gets flustered really easy and stuff like that. So he can kind of talk Zabisco off the ledge too. Yeah. All right. Well, we. we there's more where that came from because now it's more dangerous alliance. It's Rick Rude, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, and Larry Zabisco, all four of them, taking on Sting, Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Holy shit! Look at that. <laughs> and this is February the second. Uh, no, sorry, twenty second of February, Saturday night, nineteen ninety two. And, and I, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to say that Terry Taylor's on commentary, and I just said <laughs> Terry Taylor is no Jesse Ventura. So No. Um, and I, actually, I, I guess I should probably talk about Rude versus Pillman. Um, that was February 15th. Yes, yeah, if you want to mention uh, that. Yeah, yeah so, so, so we cut to 12 matches just so it wouldn't be that long, and one of the last cuts was Pillman versus Rude. I, I watched that match uh, early this morning while I was getting dressed, and... It, it was fine. I mean, Pillman refuses a handshake. Pillman works over the leg. You know, your typical good stuff from Rude. I thought it was really cool how he went on offense because he essentially just, like, launches Pillman up in the air and he goes face first into the mat. Uh, and, then, and then Pillman did some good job blocking the Rude awakening, uh, mounts a comeback and gets some near falls on the uh, springboard clothesline and across body. Um, but then, uh, Rude kind of catches him off a dive, hits the stun gun, the Rude awakening for the pin. I went three and a quarter on that. Now this match, uh, which you, as you said, was from Saturday night, the dangerous Alliance It's the dangerous Alliance minus Austin versus steam, Dustin Barry and steamer. Um, and I, I love this match. I, uh, it starts out, Barry window comes back and kind of hammers away at Eaton. Um, I, I liked how he fought out of the Dangerous Alliance corner, and they were really bumping all over the place. Then we get Steamer and Arn going at it, and that was kind of a great little sequence between those two. Um, one thing I liked about this uh, multi-man match is you could see the Dangerous Alliance getting in spurts of offense. So they didn't look incompetent. like They were able to gain the advantage momentarily, but it was like the babyface team had so much fire and the shine sequence in the early going that they were able to uh, overcome those uh, adversity and were able to stay on offense. We again build to Rude versus Sting, which was great. Felt like a big deal. The crowd was going nuts. Um, and, and then the heat ends up coming for the Dangerous Alliance working over Dustin. And this part I thought was really excellent where they were um, kind of tagging in and out doing dickish heel stuff and uh, mixing it up everybody was getting a chance to shine 
Um, and then it led to a really exciting finish where the tag was made. Uh, everybody came in. So you had a big kind of um, brawl going on with all eight men. And then the match ends up uh, clearing out where Steamboat gets a crossbody on Sabisco for the win. Um, right after the match, I liked that he was immediately laid out by Rude with the Rude Awakening. So the Dangerous Alliance retains their heat. Uh, I really enjoyed this multi-man match. I thought it was uh, excellent. So I ended up giving it four stars. Right. Well, before I uh, give you some of my notes, uh, who was that ninja again? Any, any <laughs> ideas? Uh, there was a, there's a ninja at ringside. Yeah. If anyone knows, uh, let, let us know. Because um, I, I think he was allied with Ricky Steamboat, the, the ninja. <laughs> but I seem to remember Paul E being a ninja. Like, there was some weird nin- There's been so many ninja angles, doesn't there? But, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, this was a tremendous action-packed six-man, awesome character work. Um, I thought the taunting in particular was great, Chad. Like, um, you know, this was Rude, Rude and Arn at the peak of their powers, goading the faces, stooging, the atomic drop selling from Rude. I thought um, Sting actually was very, very good uh, in these matches at playing his role. You know, we've been very hard on Sting on this show, traditionally. Um, I actually think that around this time he really feels like he's embraced his role as the big star in the company and you can feel it in these matches, I think. Um, the heat is off the chain for this and that helps everything, um, I think. And um, I, I actually thought that KB8, he's a, a, a poster at Pro Wrestling Only who's been around for a while. Uh, he, his write-up of this match is worth reading. It's at... Uh, whiskeyandwrestling.blogspot.co.uk um, just go over to that site and have a look at his long long write up because uh, you know it's a pretty good write up of this this one um, you know when I talk about why wrestling was better at this time than it is now it's a match like this that I point to uh, it's not just the work it's absolutely everything it's the crowd, the character work, the face heel dynamic, the little interactions the sense of it actually feeling important when Sting gets his hand on Rude. Um, you know, there wasn't some idiot chanting, this is awesome, or you've still got it at Ricky Steamboat. Uh, imagine this exact same match, Chad, transported to a setting like that, and all of a sudden a lot of the things that make it awesome are removed. Uh, so I, I don't want to go on a rant, but my view is, is that you can't, if you can't admit something has changed between this time and now, um, uh, and change for the worse... Uh, when it comes to any of this stuff, then I think uh, you're being blind to what should be obvious. Um, so anyway, I thought this was a great match. Four stars, same as you, Chad. Um, but I actually thought that of all the matches we watched, this seemed to have the most off-the-chain crowd. Yeah, a really hot crowd here. Um, they were they were kind of molting for everything. Uh, sort of reminded me of that NWA uh, six man that happens in 1990 with Sting as a babyface and the Horseman. Yeah, that's a a really hot crowd as well. One of the things that really struck me actually watching a lot of this stuff is that obviously WCW weren't doing very well in 1992. You know the, the pay per views were drawing about five or six thousand people. Uh, the live, you know, the gates were down on the house show circuit. Uh, as we've seen on in the Meltzers, the TV audience was down. But the people who did go to those shows were really into it. That's why. Yes. That's why yes. I think it's a really committed crowd. 
uh, who are there. So let's go on now to Steamboat and Arn. This is March 28th, and this is from Pro. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so you sort of spoiled uh, your thoughts on Twitter yesterday about this one. But, I did, uh, yeah. Which, which I was kind of taken aback from because I like the match, but uh, well, let's just get into it. Um, I thought Steamer kind of really stabilizes himself in the beginning by going after the arm. I like the uh, back and forth. Uh, one thing that I really noticed in this match that I enjoyed was Arn was constantly taking shortcuts. Um, he rakes the eyes, um, using the top rope. He was doing closed fist punches. Like, any opportunity for a little advantage he would take, um, which was enjoyable. Um, Arn gets a spine buster, uh, and Paul E. gets a, uh, a, a huge celebration off that. And, but then um, Paul E. got up on the apron, um, and Arn kind of gets sent into him, catapulting Paul e. into the ring. Uh, Steamboat feigned hitting Paulie, and the crowd was really into that, which was uh, excellent. And then he gives Paulie an at- inverted atomic drop, uh, allowing him to do his best uh, Rick Rude impersonation, um, which was nice. Rude ends up running down with the chair, but that is held up by uh, Nick Patrick, and uh, Rude attacks Steamboat anyway, chokes him out with his robe belt. Um, and then, but then at the finish, I did like how Steamboat again, I, I mean, I think 92 Steamboat, you really see a lot more fire where yeah. he kind of is able to return the favor and chokes out Root as the segment ends. Um, so, so this match was mm, about what, 10 minutes long. And in this match, in the description, it's a pretty, uh, I guess a generic thing, like where, you know, he'll, he'll cheat, Hill manager cheats, gets his come opens, uh, bullshit run in for the finish. Um, So so nothing sounds kind of out of the ordinary there. But in watching this match, I was really kind of taken aback. And here's kind of my modern example. And this was just something because it was really recent. So um, in the past week, I've been catching up on Chikara in 2016. And it's it's, it's been entertaining. But uh, there was a match that I watched right before I started watching these set of matches for the show that was, um, it was Eddie Kingston, and he was facing uh, Silverant, who, if, you know, not going to go uh, Voices of Wrestling podcast on everybody and reveal who Silverant is, but uh, he, he's had a really good year, both masked and unmasked. So, so, so sounds, sounds hideous. so so these are two i would say good workers i know kingston can be polarizing but um but but i think in a short match setting he can be uh very fun and uh like i said silver ant's probably in my top 20 workers so so they had a match and it it was good it was you know it was an opener it didn't try to overstay its welcome it accomplished what it set out to it was 10 minutes long, three-star matches. But in watching that, and then I watched this match um, uh, immediately afterwards, to me, that's where you get that leap from, like, two very good workers to two kind of all-timers. And there is, I mean, you know, there's been some really great sub-10-minute matches this year, so this is not a, for me, it's not a slam on 2016. But I just thought for what they did here, 
you could see kind of that difference of Steamboat and Arn and how they are two of the 25 greatest workers of all time uh, with the way they maximized their time in this match and what could have been just a, you know, throwaway two and a half star TV match. I mean, we saw that with John Cena and Alberto Del Rio. There's two big names in their SmackDown match uh, last week. I mean, that, that was a match. They got some time, two and a half stars, uh, wasn't offensive, but wasn't great. And here I, th- I thought you saw, you know, a great kind of example of just what each of these two guys could bring to the table. So I went three and a half, but it was a very interesting match to watch in comparison to, uh, I guess the meta wrestling landscape overall. Yeah, well, I, I think Arn is the absolute king of the 10-minute TV match, if I'm honest. Um, and, I mean, they worked this at a really decent pace, I thought. Um, I love Arn's movements. You know, like, for example, when he does a knee lift or when he does an elbow to the gut or something like that. He's just super cool. Everything looks so crisp and great. The spine buster pops me every time. And, um, I mean, Steamboat, you know, it is Ricky Steamboat, so... The selling of all of these things is fantastic. And then, as you said, Chad, his fire um, was, I mean, amazing. And I actually thought that uh, Paulie's begging off was hilarious here because Steamboat was so fired up and Paulie was such a bitch in the begging off. I just thought it was very good. And then the post-match stuff with Rue was a lot of fun as well. Um, I like this a lot better than Arm versus Dustin, which I thought was just your bog-standard TV match. I thought this was just as good as it could be, so I gave it four stars. Um, I, the promotion just seemed an absolute fire here in uh, March. of uh, This is like peak Kip Frey, I would say. Um, yeah. So, yeah, for, an, for a, an essentially nothing TV match, this was tremendous. Right, right. I, th- I think that's the big, I guess, the big <laughs> emphasis is this wasn't, meant to be much except to maybe uh, continue the steamboat rude feud a bit and um it really left kind of a lasting impression yeah but i mean i i think that there was uh as, i mean as good as dustin was in 92 i think the there's a clear step up when arn's in there with with, with steamer i think well yeah i mean i mean even to my uh, little example, I mean, yeah, Dustin, he was on my greatest wrestler ever, too, but that was mostly a, a lot for his tag work. And, and even then, there was a tear between him and Austin. I mean, him and uh, Rudin, I mean, Steamboat and uh, Arn. So yeah, you, you could see a difference there for me. So moving on now to April the 4th. This is on Pro again. And look, look at this. I mean, to our point at the top of the show, look at this match they're giving away on Pro. <laughs> Ricky Steamboat, Dustin Rhodes, and Barry Windham taking on Rick Rude, Steve Austin, and Arn Anderson. <laughs> um, and my only note going into this is look at Steve Austin's shorts. How early 90s is that? <laughs> so uh, there we go. Any thought? I, I don't have many notes on this one, actually. Yeah, so, so this is kind of another... Um... I would say this was another, you don't want to say run to the mill, dangerous alliance six man, but I mean, it is true that they had a lot of multi-man matches and I guess it could be a critique that none of them really carried much weight from one to the other. I know that's something Charles has brought up a good bit as if you want to criticize this era is, you know, they could have a match on pro and then a match on worldwide the same weekend and, there would be not much continuity except for the overarching feuds. 
so you know the same spot Orn and Barry start out Barry's able to clean house Orn has to regroup with the troops uh, Dustin and Austin come out next and Dustin's able to grind him down I did like the nice short clothesline Austin gave um, to give the Dangerous Alliance the advantage uh, but he dives off the middle rope and Dustin gives him a clothesline for the faces to take over um, and this this match was a little different because there was no Sting, so Rude and Steamboat were the signature pairing. And I did think they did make this seem like a pretty big deal. So that's still a feud that I would say was very successful. Um, I mean, I love the matches, but even beyond like Sting being the face of the company and uh, Rude being the heel, I thought they did a good job of having this carry weight as well. Uh, Steamboat clears house to a big pop. Barry gets caught in the corner, and the DA kind of works over on him. So this is the face and peril segment. Uh, Arn misses a middle rope move, allowing Barry to take the tag. Steamboat comes in, house of fire. Um, Austin ended up coming in with a chair. We got another cheap DQ. This was another one I went three stars on. Uh, Enjoyable, but nothing that left a, a lasting impression. Exactly the same rating, Chad. I thought it was a bit short, actually. Um, the performance of Wyndham stood out, I thought. Um, and I did really dig Austin, um, Dustin's clothesline on Austin coming from the turnbuckle. Just the timing of it was really cool. Um, but other than that, this is just another... I mean, it's basically every single match that we watch on this on this is fun in some way. Just because, you know, you put those six workers in a ring and it's not going to be bad, you know? Right. Um, but it's just, you know, it is what it is, <laughs> um, which is good, good, solid stuff, but probably not one to, I'd say the only ones to go really go out of your way for so far is that eight man, which is fantastic. And, uh, for me, there's the steamboat and Arn match because people always ask, well, what are Arn Anderson's really good matches? And I put that on his highlight reel. Um, uh-huh. so it, for, for me anyway um okay so moving on this is on saturday night um and it's austin versus barry windham i i note that rhubarb jones is the ring announcer on saturday yes. night, and uh capetta was on worldwide so that's an interesting thing yeah uh, Ru- rhubarb was kind of if they were in center stage um because he was local he was like so. a DJ or something, like a Cal, right. like a like a Carl Rudman figure for for um, Atlanta, I guess. Right. Um, now, still, lo- still is. Rubal Jones still around? Is he? Yeah. yeah is is he does. still doing ring announcing? No, I don't think he does <laughs> ring it. I don't think he does anything with wrestling. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he still uh, hosts a radio show on a country station. And uh, just a note going into this: this is one that our buddy Charles, that is lost on pro wrestling only has called Austin's best match to this point. So, oh, there we go. Um, do you think it's Austin's best match to this point? Uh, maybe. No, I like some of the stuff in the Chris Adams feed better than this, um, which Charles hadn't watched at that point when he probably said that. Uh, so so this, uh, this starts, well, it actually started with the week before Arn Anderson and Big Josh, but for a month, uh, WCW decided to have these really long form two out of three falls matches on Saturday night. Now, is this um, Bill Watts getting involved? Uh, I think 
I don't know exactly when the time frame happened. I would say it dipped in to where, yeah, it was definitely Watts in June. So maybe this was a Watts initiative. And we, we should mention that we decided <laughs> to skip on the 45-minute Big Josh on Anderson match. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pete Elf reminded us it had Jason Hervey on color. So that was uh, <laughs> too, kind of too much to bear. Um, I, I This was an interesting match where there was moments where I was really kind of bored by it and moments where I enjoyed it. I, I kind of got what they were going for, I think, with the headlock. It's a very headlocky match, yeah. which is something I'm not overly unopposed to if it's done well. And I thought for the most part it was done well here. And, you know, uh, I know Pete in the PWO thread was talking about how it kind of had a 70s title vibe. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I got that as well. Um, I, but I could also see this match being a chore for a lot of people to kind of sit through now. Because it's a match that really kind of takes its time and has these little bursts of offense. Like in the first fall... Um, it ends with a nice strike exchange, and Barry is actually kind of busted open. Uh, his mouth is bleeding from some of the punches that Austin gets him. Uh, but but it just I don't know. I, there was there were some things that just didn't really work out for me. Um, Barry's able to get the uh, float over suplex to win that first fall. Um, which, which was a nice, I, I like that move when he uses that. Uh, I did like in the second fall, it seemed like Austin then knew he was behind. So he kind of ramped up the pressure a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, it, it kind of ramped up the match overall. Um, he's able to use the, uh, stun gun to even things up. Also in that second fall, Austin locked in a camel clutch and I liked Paul E had the uh, title belt, the television title belt that he was showing Barry, which was a good kind of insult. Uh, the, the third match I actually thought, uh, third fall, I thought regressed a little bit where we go back to the headlock, um, which, which again makes sense because now Austin's even things up. So maybe he just does want to kind of, I guess, run out the clock. He's the champion. So no, no problem. And just, you know, getting a draw or something else. Um, but, but overall, I thought that this showed that Austin was putting the pieces together as a worker, but he just wasn't there yet. Uh, overall, um, he, he, he could be a great worker at points, but not sustained out in a 25 minute matches here. Cause I thought Barry was really good in this match and I thought Austin had instances where he was also really good, but also instances where he just sort of locked in a headlock and didn't do much with it and was relying on Paul E or Barry to kind of carry that for him. So to me, an uneven match. Um, Barry does win the television title to a big pop, which is nice. But uh, I went three stars on this one. Would you agree that Austin with the short hair automatically becomes a better wrestler? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, he looks better, I'm, doesn't he? It, yeah, he looks aesthetically better. Uh, Austin as a wrestler, we'll see. I mean, we'll get a lot of him, and I don't think. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure people that did vote him high in GWE was accounting his Stone Cold stuff, but I, I mean, Austin's just a weird worker for me where I, I, I never, 
there's just a lot of times where I don't think he's that great, to be honest. And in a lot of big matches, I've came up, I guess, short. And he does have some absolute classic matches. But, I mean, even in a match like this, like I think this could have been at least a three-and-a-half, four-star match with somebody like Arn or somebody else in there. And Austin just sort of wasn't up to snuff to kind of carry his weight when he was on top. Yeah, I mean, you've pretty much said it all, Chad. Um, it was very headlocky in the first fall. I did like the spot where Austin held on to the headlock despite taking the suplex. That was cool. Oh, yeah. Um, I did like the stun gun and the suplex in the second fall that Austin did. It felt like a ramping up. Uh, but I, honestly, I thought there was too much interference from Paul Lee in, that, in, in the end. And uh, I gave it three stars, same as you. Um... Yeah, I mean, Paulie wasn't bugging me. Like, he's really good. But there's a lot of inf- interference in these, in, in all of these matches. It's- yeah, I, th- I think he's better when he can kind of pick his spots and be sneaky um, in that way. I, I find that to be uh, more, more uh, kind of in my vibe. But I would say on average, there's at least two phone shots in every single, in every single one of these matches. And he gets on the apron if ever there's a, threat of a pin so it's kind of like okay it's just it's just quite interference heavy um which i mean i don't know if necessarily know if that brings down my rating but i felt it did in this match uh you know they were going for this as pf said 70 style match and then you've got a very kind of i guess modern by that standard way of booking it like kind of you know with the with, we're almost like with the, with the overbooking with uh, Paulie on the apron. So, yes, moving t- on then to May the 23rd. This is Saturday night. And uh, yet another six man. It's Arn, Bobby Eaton, Larry Zabisco taking on Ricky Steamboat, Dustin Rhodes, and Nikita Koloff. Um, now, two little notes going into this. One is that this is a match that Dylan has hyped as a top 10 WCW match of all time. And uh, secondly, I did really like the Dangerous Alliance walking through the corridor <laughs> with Arn and Ethan pointing out at their various... Po- like, there were all these posters of workers on the wall, and yeah. Arn was pointing, like, it's him, it's him. And then there's a big one of Sting, and they point to it. Um, I just thought that was a love, like a nice little touch um, that they were kind of picking their victims as they were walking through. Yeah, felt like they were making fun a little bit. Um, yeah, so I, I, I would assume, I guess, Dylan watched this when he did the WCW project, which, uh, as of now, was oh, about 10 years ago when they did that. So, I, you know, I don't know if time has changed or whatever, but here's kind of my thoughts and uh when i watched this yesterday uh so so eaton and steamer start off um and th- this this match i thought was eaton's best match of 1992 i'll just say that um yep. i thought i thought he was really strong throughout the match steamer has a bandage over his nose uh larry zabisco comes in gets dominated dustin hits a beautiful punch on Orin that he took a bump for uh, and then Nikita comes in and also cleans house. So I, I, I could read my notes verbatim, but basically it's, I, I mean, this is a long match and for 15 to 16 minutes, it's basically a shine sequence with the dangerous Alliance, um, getting beat up. 
And whereas in the previous eight-man tag that I really liked from February where I thought they were able to get little kind of glimpses of offense in and take the advantage, here I thought they were just sort of getting stooged out, uh, honestly, too much. I I enjoy a shine sequence, but, you know, if this is your top heel faction – it, they they looked pretty foolish for the vast majority of this match. Um, they they do kind of try to save face where the third fall steamer is the face in peril, um, and and I could see an argument of whether you know where when they are able to regroup and kind of hone in their focus on steamboat like they do in the third fall you see how vicious and effective they can be because the third fall of this i thought was excellent um where eaton looked really good orn was able to get a, a ddt on steamboat um i just really enjoyed the third fall and what they were able to do but by that time i was kind of a little bit burned out by the uh, first 15 to 16 minutes which while it was entertaining stuff it just it was kind of one of those wrestling psychology things that was sort of tough for me to grasp yeah Um, well well, and arn Arn eats both pins too which i thought was kind of weird that is true well well i mean i don't want to get all matt d on 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 you here but i i do think the purpose uh to use one of his uh, phrases uh of that first 16 or 17 minutes was really to push this idea that there's dissension in the ranks of the dangerous alliance right. that zabisco is you know not following not following the instruction very well that you know they're a little bit in disarray which kind of explains why they spend the first half of the match getting their ass kicked um, yeah. so they're advancing an angle really. Um, I mean, I did, I do agree. I mean, I don't like long, it's a bit AWA style to have such a long face, uh, shine sequence here, but, um, there were some nice little touches at one point, Paulie gave Zabisco an absolute bollock in at ringside and, um, he shouts at him, I had a game plan. And then Eaton, like a kind of childish little worm just comes in. He had a game plan behind him. I thought that was a nice little character touch from Eaton. It's almost like kind of like, you know, like the little kid behind uh, behind the leader, just kind of sticking sticking in his boot as well um, when Zabis goes down. So I thought that was just a nice bit of character work at the on the apron there. Um, uh, at one point, Eaton got massive distance on an elbow from the top. Did you see that? I thought that was uh, yes. that was really yeah. cool. Um, but for me, this entire match was all about that third fall and Steamboat's uh, face in peril sequence. I mean, he did a shaky leg cell and a body convulse from a DDT that Arn hit on the counter. And then Arn went in for the nose. And um, when Arn was attacking that nose, the, the, some of the selling that Steamboat was doing with his face down on the... There was a moment when Steamboat was um, had his face down on the mat an arm was stamping on the back of his head and his leg was just kind of shivering with pain. And I just thought that that was next level selling from Steamboat. I absolutely loved that whole sequence there. Now, I can see some of the kids, some of the more modern fans thinking the selling is a bit over the top. But for me, this is like basically the pinnacle of selling achievement is Steamboat in this match. Um, 
so I I honestly thought it was one of the all time great kind of face in barrel sequences, even though it comes up, uh, you know, at the end of this very long shine sequence. Um, Nikita didn't really bring anything here, just a spare wheel. Um, Eaton, I would agree, was the standout for the heels, but I thought it was all about Steamboat's performance in the third four. I went three and three quarters, Chad. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm around you. I'm three and a half. Um, yeah, I mean, this is essentially the end of the Dangerous Alliance. So there is a lot of that. It's just, it's just, this is just one of those matches where I get what was going. I mean, in the end, I say it's a lot of good, but the Dangerous Alliance looking out of sorts. Uh, it fits the story with Larry not being on the same page with everybody else. But um, to, to me, that's just not. I guess the most uh, aesthetically pleasing match for my eyes. Uh, so that's why it didn't reach like the classic status, but I could see it. And uh, I would like to watch uh, Matt to watch the match. Actually, yeah, <laughs> I think we'll, I think he'd have a fun time with this one. We'll uh, I'll give him a heads up. Uh, I'll give him a Facebook message or yeah. something saying we gave him a shout out. Um, Okay, uh, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say top ten WCW. We've easily seen ten better matches than this, Chad. On our, you know, uh, yeah, even I mean, for me, this isn't a top ten. Um, Ninety-two, 1992. yeah, uh, no. exactly. But um, you know, it is a good. I mean, it is. It's a kind of for me. It's very much a match of two halves, and the second, like the finishing sequence, essentially, is just. I thought it was a you know out of this world from Steamboat. Um, he really was good in 1992. I, I have to. I mean, I, I almost want to say, apart from the 1989 stuff with Flair, I don't think there's a time in his career that he, I've seen him like better than he is in a lot of these matches. So, um, I mean, maybe it's because we don't have like the week in week out in early in his career, but only like glimpses here and there. But this really feels like it's better than his WF run, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we'll we'll get more on that um, in the second half of the show. Yeah, sure. I, have, I have kind of a statement on that. Okay. Yeah. So let's go to May 30th over to Worldwide. Um, this was the match that Pete recommended we contrasted with the Pillman Rude. It's Rick Rude versus Dustin. And um, I've just written on my notes here, Super Nintendo Top 10 Challenger Tournament, which is the greatest possible thing of all time if you were a 10 year old around this time, because I, lo- <laughs> I loved my Super Nintendo and I also loved watching Worldwide. We also have Tony and Jesse on commentary um, and uh, Rude's line for tonight in his uh, pre-match promo is sunk coast sleaze bags. <laughs> that was his line. Uh, <laughs> so um, what did you make of this one? Uh, I, I thought Rude's tights here were probably the best we saw on this set of matches, too. These are kind of the multicolored, had sexy written across the butt. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed those. Uh, so this is kind of like a follow-up from the previous match where I liked this. But, um, again, Rude's your top heel, and I don't, I don't know if I enjoyed Dustin getting so much offense here. Uh, he, he, he takes over, you know, it's, it's a shortest match and he dominated a good portion of it. I did like him mocking rude swivel hip, uh, move, which again, uh, that always, that's an easy way to get a big pop, but it works for me every time. I always find it entertaining. 
Um, but I, I, when Rude does takes over, um, I, I like that he took over on something that usually happens to him. You know where he gets crotched and he does yeah. the cell job, and here he does it to Dustin, which I thought was nice. Uh, nice touch on Rude's part. Uh, it then gives him the inverted atomic drop. Dustin, of course, does his 360 clothesline bump, which looks great. Uh, Dustin fights off and reverses a tombstone, which is another crowd pleasing spot. I thought I thought this had a lot of kind of easy ups, ebbs and flows of a match that made it effective. Um, you know, with the tombstone spot that always gets a good reaction. Medusa getting in a cheap shot to get some heat. Um, Dustin had a really good running lariat. Um, he's able to hit the bulldog to get the visual pin, but the ref is distracted, and then Rude is able to use the belt and his Rude Awakening for the win. Uh, good, another good, uh, you know, top heel versus underdog match. I went three and a quarter on this one also, um, but this one honestly I may like the one four ninety two match a little better, um, just because I did think like Root is your absolute ace heel, and I wasn't too big a fan of Dustin getting so much offense in early. Well, uh, I always love the aborted swivel, Chad, because uh, you know Root's a <laughs> oh, yeah, he the, did the do abort- that too. <laughs> I mean, Root yeah. is so awesome, isn't he? Just, just <laughs> couldn't do it. <laughs> Um, and uh, Jesse on commentary imagine oh, yeah. all the broken hearts yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I think we got a little glimpse here uh, in this match Chad that the, the Tony Jesse have got so much more chemistry than Jesse Ross like just the little interactions between them we've got all that to look forward to in 93 um, yeah the match had a lot of action a lot of actual moves like a swinging neck breaker and pile drivers which always makes me happy um <laughs> I thought the rude awakening looked absolutely awesome here. You absolutely mm-hmm. nailed it. Uh, Huck the leg too, which would make Gorilla Monsoon happy. Great all-action TV match. I gave it three and a half, so we're, we're not a million miles apart. So, the uh, next match then is October the 3rd. This is coming from Worldwide. Oh, well, for, well first I got to do the match you uh, reviewed for oh, 91. Yes, of course. <laughs> the famous Arn versus Barry Windham match. What's the date on that? Uh, what is it? 6-6, six, six, I think. Maybe 6. Yeah, 6-6 six, six from um, WCW Saturday night. And, and if you're new to this show, uh, basically what happened is that in the 1991 TV special, uh, um, I accidentally reviewed this match. Uh, rather than the Arn Winder match from '91, and not only did I uh, not only did I uh, review the wrong match, I also gave it an absolutely monster rating. What was it like four and three quarters? Four and three quarters. Yeah, yeah. And we both liked the '91 match. I think we. Were, I know I was like four and a quarter on the '91 match. I think you were four. But, but the the joke was there is that Chad and I reviewed different matches and didn't actually realize, even though both of us were thinking, <laughs> "Hold on." These spots didn't happen, <laughs> but uh, we just carried on. So, yeah, one of the more famous uh, or infamous moments in where the big boys play history there. So, yes, did you agree with me? Is this an all-time classic match as I think it is? Um, so, I think this is the best Arn Anderson singles match I've ever seen. I, I, I really do. Um, hey, this, this match blew me away even knowing the rating um i i thought just the back and forth of this match let me read my notes on this one because i was uh you know even with all the hype i was impressed so methodical start 
uh, Arn again showing he's the veteran, and he I liked how he talked about how many times he'd been the TV champ and he could do it again. Um, Arn gets flustered early, regroups to the outside with Paul E. Um, a really nice right hand that sent Arn to the outside. There were some really good punches overall in these sets of matches between Barry and Arn and uh, Dustin. Just some really good punch work uh, throughout these this set. Uh, Arn, I did like, uh, got some offense in now, sent Barry to the outside, but he uh, is overzealous, hits the ring post, and then Barry starts really focusing on the arm. And that was really strong arm work from Barry. He locks in a sleeper. Anderson hits a jawbreaker. And then Orange selling this arm, I thought, was immaculate, where he was continuously working over, wringing out his left arm to show how much damage has been done. Uh, he shifts his focus to the leg of Barry, wraps it around the post. Um, I did like how Barry then goes up to the top rope, but he couldn't balance himself because of the leg damage. Um, and then to kind of counteract that, Arn doesn't have enough power to do a superplex because of the weak arm, which was really strong too. Barry then hits the lariat and picks up the first fall. Uh, an excellent first fall. You know, very controlled, focused limb work that played into the finish. Uh, just extremely well done. Really worked for me. Arn goes right back on the leg on fall two, but misses an elbow, messing up his arm even more. Wyndham again pounces on that, uh, just continues to pounce on that. Arn gets, uh, he again tries a suplex, but doesn't have enough strength. I did think JR was good calling this solo. Um, we've been pretty tough on Ross throughout 92, but I thought he was strong here getting over the psychology of each man. Um, really an effective job uh, that he did here. Uh, Anderson kind of moves out of the way of the crossbody, and Wyndham takes a big spill to the outside. Uh, Paulie takes getting a shot, uh, and that allows Arn to come from behind and attack Barry when Paulie kind of acts like he's going to get a cheap shot in. Um, and, and this was good because Wyndham spills to the outside and he lands on his back and Ross picks up on that immediately. And Arn immediately goes after the back and starts really targeting that. Paulie now gets a telephone shot in on the back. Um, and, and this I thought was Paulie's best moment of this set of matches where he hits, he hits Barry in the back with the telephone and then he immediately runs to the other side of the ring area and kind of plops himself up on the apron and acts like he's talking on the phone <laughs> it, it, it looked like a, like you know like a 12 year old talking to his girlfriend it was just a, an awesome spot and of course ross is like you know what a despicable man you know just uh, completely outraged by this but that was a uh a, a great uh, spot. And then Arn again, he, he uses a camel clutch to put pressure on the back. He uses a body scissors to put pressure on the back. A Boston crab to put pressure on the back. Double axe handle on the back. Abdominal stretch where he's focusing on the back. And then to finish things off, he catches Barry with the Supine Buster to even the falls up. Perfect psychology. Just, I mean, just an, an arsenal of moves that he was running through. A clear progression 
uh, working over the back. Wendell was selling it beautifully, but I mean, just masterful work by Anderson. The uh, third fall starts where Barry has a good bit of desperation in the match. He hits a nice pile driver. Paulie's able to put Orange's foot on the ropes to stop the count. Uh, figure four applied. Um, and then I like this where Arn then goes back to the leg applying the figure four. Barry is reversing that. And Arn does this little touch where, you know, when you reverse the figure four, his face, he's kind of in a push-up position. And Arn tries to power out of that, but because of the damage to his left arm, he's unable to. It's a really kind of subtle thing that the camera doesn't pick up on very well, but I saw that. Because you can see him kind of trying to push up, and then he collapses and wrings out his arm. It it was just an amazing little moment. Um, uh, Barry hammers Arn over the top rope, and this was kind of cool because Paul is a little bit conflicted because he doesn't necessarily want a DQ because then, um, you know, uh, Arn wouldn't win the title on a DQ win. Uh, Barry ends up having the match run uh, won when Austin runs in for the DQ, which I thought was a pretty terrible finish yeah. overall for this match. I, I, I really think if you slap on a excellent finish, I don't, I don't know what you could do, but uh, even something where like Arn goes for the DDT, the arm's too damaged, and Barry reverses into something for the pin... And, and I would say this is a bona fide match of the year contender and maybe top 10 WCW match of all time. As it stands, I went four and a half stars um, just because of that bad finish. But I, I really uh, want people to check out this match because I thought it was incredible. Well, yes. Uh, well, I'm glad you agree with me, Chad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, I'm just, I am a mark for focused offense on a specific body part over yeah. a heat sequence that ramps up, which is probably why I marked for it in retrospect. You know? Oh yeah. So if, and it plays out throughout the whole match, which I enjoyed, um, the selling was sublime too. All right. So we, we actually jump from June all the way to October now because it's sting and the Steiners taking on Rude, Arn, and Bobby Eaton. Uh, no Paulie uh, anymore. Um, and uh, I just wrote in my notes that this is my show, Chad. This was the worldwide that I remember, this, you know, uh, this era right here. Um, and, uh, yes, any thoughts on this six man? So I don't kind of know what to expect about this one, but uh, Ring and Sting, <laughs> Ring and Sting, Rude and Sting do oppose off to start. Um... I, I like this because Rude had to be consoled by Orn and Bobby after he kind of, I guess, lost the pose off. <laughs> like, uh, it was pretty <laughs> good stooging. Uh, we kind of go to the break with Sting beating up Arn. Um, so, so basic shine to start out. Steiners want the tag now. Everyone kind of retreated around. I love the uh, Rude versus Scott Steiner test of strength spot. I thought that was a really strong spot. They played out basic stuff, but really kind of showed Scott on uh, Rude's level, especially in the power game, which um, which made that effective. Rick tags in, Rude gets beat up again, then Orn gets the tag. 
which responded in two great moments. One, Rick actually rubs his hands together uh, in a funny spot, and Arn responds to that by barking at uh, Rick Steiner, which I thought was just awesome. Uh, uh, eventually, the Hills are able to take over on uh, Scott Steiner. They do some good work there. Um, Sting gets the hot tag, crowd goes nuts. Jesse is, of course, outraged uh, at Nick Patrick for losing control of the match. And uh, Sting ends up getting his uh, face plant on Arn for the win, um, which, which again, Arn takes another pin. He was eating a lot of pins on this set of matches. But this, this was one that had some, I guess, basic sticky stuff, but it had the Steiners mixed in, which was unique and... I kind of enjoyed it watching the other set of matches as something different, so I went three and a half. I enjoyed this one a good deal. Wow. Well, uh, there was a lot of rude atomic drop selling in this one. Um, yeah. The Steiners actually had a little bit of good psychology. They focused on the lower back and the ribs for a period. So there you go, Steiners haters. Um, one random note I had is how much does Tony Schiavone love saying full arm dragon twist? That's something to look out for because <laughs> he seemed to say that an awful lot. Um this was a bit short for me, Chad. I mean, I had good action, um, but for me, it was the least of the matches that we've seen so far, and I went two and a half on it. Oh, terrible. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, me, me I, I, I did, when I went through my PWO threads, besides the uh, Wyndham Arn match, I saw that me and uh, Charles were aligned a lot, which is not a surprise, because we kind of line up on a lot of things pretty closely, and I know he really liked this one. I did too. I don't know. Just something about like the different pairings and it felt like a good kind of first match in the series with some comedy mixed in that I enjoyed. So I I like this one. All right. And so now we're going over to, well, same day, but this is on Saturday night instead of worldwide. Mm. And it's um, uh, Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham taking on Doc and Gordy. And we've got Arn Anderson joining us for color here uh, with Jim Ross. So, what do you make of this? What a uh, what a great job Arn did calling this match. Yeah, I, I mean that that's Arn. a lost career that we never had. No, yeah, he he was exceptional uh, calling this. So so I, I like the beginning where they kind of work over the arm of both the uh, Miracle Violence collect uh, connection and. Uh, we go to the first break with Wyndham still working over the arm. Uh, Gordy's able to get a little bit of offense when we come back from break on Dustin. Um, double drop kick from the faces to kind of put an end to that. The MVC begins to work over Barry, and I thought this was great work on him. Um, actually, some intensity that we saw from uh, Gordy and Doc, which wasn't always the case. Uh, the crowd, I thought, was a little bit silent in the beginning, which was a little weird, but I thought they got into the match now where Barry looked vulnerable. Uh, good teases for the hot tag. Barry's able to make the uh, hot tag, and uh, Dustin is always a great kind of hot tag house of fire, and he proves that here. Um, but one thing I liked about this match is that he used the old uh, AWA narrative where we had double face and peril because Dustin gets caught in the stun gun from Williams now he's hurting, and they take over on him. Gordy hits a disgusting pile driver, uh, <laughs> d- double shoulder tackle. 
Uh, I thought they did a really good job of using their high-impact offense against Dustin, and it helped to make Dustin look tough and that he was able to, you know, uh, take and absorb all this high-octane offense that Doc and Gordy was giving to him. Uh, Dustin hits a back suplex, avoids two elbows, and makes the hot tag. I also like that he did have to hit a back suplex, you know, a big power move in order for him to uh, make the hot tag. Barry's firing in on all cylinders when he comes back in. Wyndham catches Gordy on top and gives him a second rope superplex. Uh, and then Dustin gets the bulldog onto Gordy, uh, allowing Wyndham to pin him before Williams sort of realized what was going on. As Williams was still relatively fresh and broke up a couple of pinfalls. But here it kind of happened so quick. They did essentially like a flash moving pin where it happened before Williams sort of gathered what was going on and he was too late to make the save. So we got new tag team champs, really great celebration afterwards. And I gave this one four stars too. I and I enjoyed it greatly. Clean job by Gordy. Yes. And I, was this his last match for the company? Cause I note that he seems to be gone like a week later. Yeah, maybe I hadn't thought about that. I, but I, I think he no shows the next showing taping and Austin has to sub. I believe. Mm. Um, yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, you said it already, Chad. I mean, I thought Doc and Gordy were particularly stiff in this match. It was almost like all Japan style. Um, the, the face in peril sequence on Dustin was really good. And I really dug the float over superplex by Wyndham. I mean, how cool is that? Um, I gave the match three and three quarters. So we're, we're around about the same. There we go. Yeah, I, I thought this was... One of the better uh, Doc and Gordy performances. So it, it being the last, they at least went out on a high note. So now we end up on November the 21st, and it's Saturday night, and it's Dustin Rhodes taking on Vader. And uh, just before the match, there's a hilarious Harley Race promo. Uh, he complains to Bill Watts, <laughs> who responds by basically throwing out the complaint and barring race from ringside. Right. So I thought that Watts was more corrupt and biased than Jack Tunney here. So, <laughs> Yeah, so so Sting hit Vader with a two-by-four uh, before the match starts. Yes. Disgrace, um, disgraceful. Yeah, which, which really pissed Harley off. And then, you know, Watts essentially gives him, you know, let's hook him up, boys, speech, <laughs> and then off we go. I, I did think that what that Watts in this role pander to the crowd so much (laughs) (laughs) so what did he make of this uh interesting because you complained about dustin getting too much offense on uh on or on uh rude before rude yes yeah Um, so what do you make of this one well i'm kind of interested in what you think about this one because i loved it um and i'll tell you why because i thought that sting beating vader with the two by four in the beginning really worked because it, it sort of evened the playing field a little yeah, bit. Kind of a nice equalizer, wasn't it? Yes. So Dustin gets, and and also the stiffness of Dustin here. I mean, I talked about his punches a little bit before, but his punches to start out this match was amazing. I mean, he was reeling Vader. Yeah, and, and uh, a lot of fight, like he got right up in Vader's face. Yeah, like, yeah. That was intensity, you know? Yeah, it was something where I actually believed that he was, you know, kind of up to Vader's level, which was nice. Um, uh, a bulldog 
he gets a bulldog pretty early on. I thought Vader did a great sell job off of that. Clothesline takes both to the outside. Now, so there was Zabisco, Oli, and who else was that taking notes? Was that Matsuda? I think Matsuda was that. Couldn't yeah. make it out, but yeah, we got the three guys around yeah, ringside it, taking notes for the sh- King of Cable. We should have mentioned Michael Hayes was on commentary here as well. Oh yeah, Hayes is on commentary here, which I, I did make a note that I thought it was nice to hear them as a pairing. Um, but so 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 Dustin takes the fight to Vader, and you knew when Vader like got on offense, he was just gonna kill the dude, and he does. Uh, he comes back, pummels Dustin in the corner, suplex gets a near fall. Um, and, and I liked uh, another raw slime on commentary where he talks about how to beat Vader. It takes kind of the greatest night of your life. Um, and talked about that and like how Simmons won the world title. I, I like that cause I thought it, uh, made Vader look strong too and showed a game plan that Dustin could, you know, utilize that, you know, on his best night, he possibly could beat Vader, but it would take that much. Uh, Dustin gets a shoulder block, starts to run through his uh, comeback spear tackle by Dustin, and then he goes for the clothesline but takes a 360 bump on the floor, on the concrete floor, which was just a sick, you know, an absolute sick bump. Vader puts him back in the ring, hits a a squashy middle rope splash that looks like it smothered uh, Dustin and wins. Uh, Probably one of my favorite... 10-minute matches of all time, actually. Uh, this one went about 10 minutes. I thought it was great. Really felt like a war. I went four stars on this one also to close out the night. Wow. Well, you were quite a bit high. I went three and a half. I thought it was a decent match. A really great Dustin performance. Nice story. Um, but I don't know. I just felt it was just kind of an Vader match, you know. Um, so it was good. Um, but I, I guess I wasn't feeling four stars on it. Um, and this was a match I actually watched this morning just before we came, like literally just before we started recording. So I didn't, um, I wasn't getting four stars from it. Although I do think it's a very good TV match. So, um, and you know, the, the, the wrinkle with the bad back is a nice wrinkle. Uh, I think it just makes you believe that Dustin can have a chance uh, so I did like the way they worked it. Um, uh, yeah. So there we go. Well, that we got through them in super duper time, Chad. So yeah. I guess now we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do the end of year awards. This is a three year tradition now, Chad. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes, um, promotional consideration paid for by the following. (laughs) Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on The Place to Be Nation. Placetobenation.com, The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner, at least we hope. Place to be Nations, Justin Rosero here. In addition to the Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and PlaceToBeNation.com. And we now offer them to you on two great feeds as well. On the Place to Be Podcast feed, you can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the Mothership, the Place to Be Podcast, with our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with clotheslines and headlines, main event, Mission Indie Possible, in our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on WWE, NXT, and Ring of Honor Super Shows. Relive Wrestling's past with our 
monthly pay-per-view rewind series led by Ben Morse and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. We also have sports covered too with the Sports Lounge, the TJ McLoon Show, and NBA Team Podcast. On our brand new PTB Pop Podcast feed, we offer great shows such as the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, Rank and File, Lucha Undead, as well as a veritable podcast heaven for comics fans with the hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, and Imaginary Stories. Subscribe to both feeds on iTunes and be sure to rate and leave feedback as well. All these shows are available on PlayStation.com where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments and more. Be sure to check out the right-hand side of the site for details on how to support the site when you shop at Amazon and download our free Place to Be Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks. We also want to thank our friends at Boneheads Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts and Scott Keats' blog of doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr as well. PlaceToBeNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is Parv, and I'm here to tell you to listen and subscribe to the Pro Wrestling Only Place to Be Nation podcast network. That's the PWO PTBN podcast network, where you'll find a ton of in depth shows done by hardcore fans. We've got Chris Zellner's One Two Punch of Exile on Bad Street, and with David Bickenspan, a smash hit between the sheets. We've got Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave. Goodwill Wrestling and the Reaction Shows with Good Old Will from Texas. we got This Week in Wrestling with my man Pete and Johnny Sorrow. Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston's Pro Wrestling Super Show. Tag Team's Back Again with Kelly and Marty Slees. And a ton of other great shows too. And of course there's Titans of Wrestling and Where the Big Boys Play with yours truly and some dude from down south called Chad. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. All right, well, welcome back. And uh, I don't know if you've got anything to chat, uh, to plug Chad. Um, I will just mention that uh, I recently started booking WCW in 1991 again. Um, that's my, so if you go over to the armchair booking thread in Pro Wrestling Only, you can follow that along. I know a lot of people had a lot of fun when I did it in uh, 1983 with WF. So this is kind of a sequel. Um, yeah, it'll be like a not like the not as good, cheap, <laughs> low budget sequel. I Maybe uh, who who was it that gave you the finger in '83? Billy Graham or was it Strongbow? It was, it was Backlund. Oh yeah, right. um, Backlund basically walked out when he was the champion. So. <laughs> the ultimate revenge on your Titan champion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I already have. I already have plans, and I'm trying to bring in Dory Funk Jr. So. Oh, God, come on, 91. <laughs> yeah, I, and I've had an order from Jim Hurd not to bring in workers over 45. <laughs> he said no workers over 45 years old, and I'm going to deliberately dis- disobey him. <laughs> oh, boy. This may be a, a Kip Fry era short uh, run on top for part. <laughs> well, I might actually get fired on this one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I, th- I just saw it from this for the point of view of this show uh we saw the shower of shit that was 1991 at some time um so i'm wondering maybe if i could do better than that at least so you know well they have the roster kind of there i mean they've got a fantastic roster but then yeah. they've got a lot of like crap like motor city madman and yeah, the yeah. master blasters and all this sort of stuff uh, so. it's, um, still very green yeah i don't know how dory fits in there but good luck uh, I, I, i've got a fantastic plan you just wait and see oh boy <laughs> okay um, 
However, I've just noticed that WF have come in for Steamboat, and I'm trying to sign him. So that's yeah, going to be fa- fantastic. And Dory have never been mentioned in the same sentence before. Uh, it does say, in fact, weirdly, within the game, it says that uh, within um, wrestling circles, he's more respected in Japan than he is in the USA. <laughs> so that, that was quite an interesting note. Anyway, let's get on to our end of year awards, uh, Chad, for 1992. When we first started the show, back in the, uh, God knows whenever it was now, like 2012, was it? Yeah, July 2012. We're over four years strong. <laughs> back when we started the show, it was really this era, 1992, that I was looking forward to the most because it is still very close to my heart. Um, yeah. So, yes, uh, I'm excited to do these. Um, so, we start off with the total Billy Graham award for the worst wrestler. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. We, we saw, I don't think we saw that many awful wrestlers this year, but I think I'm going to go with Chono. Oh yeah. Uh, good, 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 cool. Just because he had the awful match at Havoc and Starcade and, um, that, that kind of just kind of both both of those matches brought the shows they were on to a halt. So so that's kind of where I'm going, my boy, uh, Masahiro Chono, who uh, apparently is a uh, <laughs> apparently he, he's a semblance of how, you know, Baba wasn't that patient a booker because they waited so long for Chono. But but I just I digress. Christ, let's not mention him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, there were Smark fans back in 1972, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure there were, but, um, you know, there's a difference. Um, anyway, uh, my pick, Chad, I know he wasn't around for an awful lot of the year, but he did enough egregious to upset me during the time he was there. It is, of course, Jimmy Jam. No, that is... (laughs) Who, um, I mean, you know... He don't forget at the start of the year they won the um, they won the U.S. titles against <laughs> Valentine and uh, Taylor at WrestleWar '92. Um, they had that uh, the, the match against Big Josh and Brad Armstrong on the Clash. Um, you know he was a, he was around and there was that bloody uh, Hasse match. <laughs> so you know. Uh, Jimmy Jam Garvin, just for still being employed in 1992, gets my total Graham Award. Poor Jimmy Jam. So, best feud. Uh, So, I worked out, Chad, there were basically three contenders here. Tell me if you disagree. Well, did you consider WCW versus Dangerous Alliance as like a feud in of its own? Yeah, so so Dangerous Alliance versus Sting and Friends is, is one. Steiner. Rude Steamboat, I would say, is one. Um, well, I, w- I was incorporating Rude Steamboat into that. But oh, okay. Hey, if you want to break it out. Um, then there's Sting versus Vader, and yep. the Steiners versus Doc and Gordy, I would say, yep. the three banner feuds of the year. Yeah, and that's three strong feuds. I mean, even within, like I said, the Dangerous Alliance stuff, you got Sting versus Rude, Rude versus Steamboat. Um, you know, Barry and, and Austin had a pretty good run at each other. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Steamboat Rude. Um, uh, you know, two fantastic singles matches. And as we saw when they were mixed up in the multi-man matches, the chemistry was still there too. So 
that's probably uh, my pick. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I just feel like it was the... I mean, the, the weirdest thing about that whole deal is that it really does seem to fizzle. It seems to get just kind of drift and poor ego's missing and, you know, they're still together. Yeah, and Paul, it doesn't Paul really Lee have a satisfying blow-off. doesn't have a yeah. blow-off, you know? Um, so, and I guess Sting and Vader were still going. Uh, right, right. We're getting to, and it does have a pretty interesting blow off, I'd say, but a pretty clear blow off at Super Brawl. Um, yeah, both both were fine choices. I mean, I, I think with the Dangerous Alliance, the one thing with them is like there was never like an end game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like Paul E had an end talking about you know almost like if they could afford had the foresight of the NWO. I think would have worked of, you know, Paulie wants to take over WCW Saturday night, you know, and all this stuff, because that was sort of the crux of why he created this group. But once they was there, it was just like, well, I mean, they're getting booked for all the matches they want. So, you know, it's like, what, what's your end game and what's your big gripe here? You know, now. Um, yeah, they didn't so really have a, a, a cause, I guess. Right, like, right. What's the ultimate? Like the Horseman's cause was we want to be all the champions. We want right. to be have every belt type thing, and it, uh, it it's kind of strange. Um, I mean, they did at one point. Uh, Rip Rude was the U.S. champ. Uh, Austin was the TV, and they had the tag belts at one point. I want to say. Yes. Yeah, I think so. But uh, yeah, um, they are totally kick ass though. Even though the the run was short, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean. I mean. You know, for a five month. I mean, really seven month heel grouping. Um, I mean, they're still so fondly remembered twenty four years later. So yes. Um, yeah. So uh, let me think. I'm tempted to go with uh, the Sting Sting Vader, but I think I'm going to go with Rude Steamboat just because I love those matches so much. And right. and I actually think that um, it's probably the peak of Rick Rude as a heel as an over heel. It, uh, especially a Super Brawl, with it, when he cuts that promo and the, he can't even finish it because of the crowd. Uh, <laughs> so you know. So that moves us on to best show, which is quite an interesting question. Yeah, for me, um, I think I have to go with Super Brawl uh, because I really like the tag match. It has Steam, uh, Steamer, Rude, and then also Pillman Liger. Uh, I, I don't know if it was quite the all-time pay-per-view because it had a little bit of a glut in the uh, opening after Liger Pillman, but um, I, I think that was probably the strongest show overall for me. So you went with Super Brawl? Yeah, Super Brawl. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's between that and Beach Blast, which is historic because Beach Blast had Sting Cactus and it had Gordy Williams versus the Steiners. Um, and a six man in it, you know. Uh, I'm te- and historically, I would always say that Beach Blast was my favorite, one of my all time favorite pay per views. So, yeah, it's between those two, and I'm. Uh, but then Pillman Liger as well. Uh, no, I, I think I'm going to stick with uh, with Beach Blast. Beach Blast, yeah. yeah. Beach Blast was the one that. Uh... It's in contention. I would say Beach Blast, Super Brawl, and um, probably Wrestle War, just on the strength of the last three matches. Wrestle War, yeah. yeah. 
Um, yes, but I, I reckon you could switch up that order easily. I, I just felt that maybe Super Brawl in the unedited Turner, non-Turner cut just had a little bit of fat on it, you know? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas uh, Beat, I felt it kind of... I even liked stuff like Valentine versus Bagwell, if you remember, like a veteran versus pretty boy match, I seem to recall. Um, you know, it, it has some good stuff on it. Um, so that brings us on to the question of worst show. And, uh, God, I have to remember back to some of these clashes. Uh, oh, the clash. Yeah. all well, the clashes were bad, but, um, for me, I'm just going Halloween Havoc. I, I think that's a pretty, uh, to me, easy answer. Not a good show. Spin the wheel, make the deal match was embarrassing. Uh, Rude versus Chono lasted forever. So I, 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 I'm sure there was probably some clashes that were middling, but I, I, I mean, for a show that actually had some decent juice going into the uh, show and also the Barbarian Simmons stuff, just no heat for your world champion. So Halloween Havoc wins for me. Jake. I mean, it's a joke, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah no, I, I, I'll, I think I agree. Um, I actually thought Clash 21 uh, I think back on that. No, that had some good stuff on it. Looking at it, um, I was just remembering Eric Watts in that weird match when he tagged. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Sting. I, I'd say the Sting uh, rude stuff kind of saves it a little bit. Case, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, it has to be. I mean, they're kind of boring answers here. We haven't turned up any trees, Chad. But you know, I guess no. these shows have a rep for the re- for good reason. You know, right. Halloween Havoc isn't a good pay-per-view. No, no. So that brings us on to best tag team. And I think there's a number of different contenders here. Yeah, this is a kind of an interesting year for tag teams because you had some makeshift teams. You had uh, stuff like, you know, Steamboat and Douglas at the end of the year, which we didn't watch this match because it was a house show match, but their match from December 29th, 92 is really strong too. Um, MVC, Steiners, um, God, I don't know who I'm going with. I think I'm Dustin Windham, Dustin Windham for sure. I think I may actually go with the Steiners, which I guess is a surprise because I'm generally kind of down on them, but, uh, I liked, I liked their matches with MVC. I thought they looked good in the six man we saw here. Super Brawl tag was fun. Um, so I think I'm going to go with them, and I guess probably a little bit of an upset. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like I want to go with Arn and Bobby, um, just because I feel like both of those guys had a good year. Um, but I, I guess a lot of their stand-up performances came in six-mans or multi-man uh, yeah. matches rather than your straight-up tags. Um, definitely not going to give it to Doc and Gordy. Uh, just way too overpushed. Um, Dustin and uh, Dustin had a lot of good. I mean, I, I'd honestly say that probably the standout tag performer for the year was Dustin. Yeah, yeah. If we just had to pick one work tag worker, I'd probably pick Dustin. Sure. Uh, and then while well, the enforcers was back in '91, wasn't it? Really. Um, kind of like by the by the start of the year, on had started to transition. Yeah, to he, he was with Eaton. Yep. Uh, no, it kind of feels like Steiner's by default almost, isn't it? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I actually think I'm going to go for a mild upset and go for Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes. There you go. 
Yeah, they're my number two. I just think that they had a lot of quality. And um, this, to me, doesn't feel like a banner year for this. Like, 1990 is a banner year for the Steiners for me. All those Doom matches and things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if they had, like, that kind of monster run of greatness, uh, in my view, in this year. So, that brings us on to the best babyface I've got, a yeah. clear, I've got a clear answer for this. Yeah, I mean, my answer is Steamboat. Um, <laughs> I, I just thought he was great here. And this was actually a pretty strong year for baby faces in the promotion. Definitely I the best year we've seen from Sting. Yeah, Sting is right up there. Dustin was good. Wendell is a, you know, a rough-edged baby face was strong, too. But uh, Steamboat, to me, is a class above even all them. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, Chad. He's just... Um just from everything you'd possibly want in a baby face and more, I would say just perfect um, in virtually everything he does. But I mean, I, I would say virtually from the moment he debuts in that clash match to this point, he's been phenomenal. Um, so yes, I will go with steamboat, which brings us to best heel. And I also have a clear answer for this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, again, Arn really strong year, but uh, Vader, good as well but it's kind of rick rude year right it has to i mean it has to be rick rude um phenomenal another one really when he shaves it when he when he when he goes to the short hair and he has the mustache and the short hair that is ultimate rude so (laughs) like from whenever he cuts his hair to the moment he cuts that mustache off is the peak of his career by a mile so um yes rick rude fantastic um and, and really, I mean, the thing is with Rick Rude is that I come, I come to realize that, I mean, we talk about Rick Flair being a Formula worker. God, Rick Rude is a Formula man, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the pre, pre-promo sweat hogs. Like, the, the, yeah. but not just that, the atomic drop, the, the, the yeah. swivel, like, I mean, right. the, even like down to his rest holds have always been the camel clutch and stuff like that. Like, he does a lot of the same stuff. But it's really good what he does do. So I would say so. Um, and he was over, which helps. Oh, yeah. So then we get now, the, I guess, the big ones. The top five matches, Chad, followed by the top five wrestlers, including the Ric Flair Award for the wrestler of 1992. So, um, and it can't be Ric Flair for once because he's not, he's not with us. Um, no. So the top five matches... Now, I think there's a clear one, but two, three, four, five is interesting. Yes. Um, you you want me to just kind of run down my top five? Yeah, let's, let's do it, Chad. Okay, so uh, my number five, I am going, uh, my number five and number four are so close. <sighs> number five, I think I'm going to go Sting Vader from Great American Bash. I like the Great American Bash match a little bit better. Okay. Um, number four, I'm gonna go with Anderson versus Wyndham. Uh, the the match we watched, I watched today. You watched last year. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 those are so close though, because one I think has a great finish with a heel going over cleanly, and one has an awful finish. <sighs> yeah, but I'm gonna stick with it, um, just because I do think that's Orange's best singles match. Number three, I'm going with Steamboat versus Rude from Super Brawl. 
Okay. A uh, really excellent match that I think it's overlooked a good bit. Number two Iron Man match from Super Brawl. And then, uh, I mean, from Beach Blast, sorry. Yeah, 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 the Iron Man, Steamboat versus Rude. Just a, you know, top 10 match in WCW history for sure. And number one, War Games 92, which may be top one match in WCW history. Uh, So that's a really strong year. That left even like the uh, tag title match from Starcade 92 which I liked a lot and gave four and a half stars as well that left the four and a half star match yeah. on the cutting room floor uh, and the eight man that we watched which right was a really good match right like for any other for any other year I'd say that eight man would probably be making the top five I'd imagine. yeah I, th- I think it's I think I probably have uh maybe 15 four star match to somewhere between 12 and 15 four star matches for the promotion in the year which is really strong yeah, I, I've got exactly the same, Chad, one, two, and three. Um, I thought um, the um, war games absolutely blew us away. Like, like I'd, I'd always loved, loved the match, but it really knocked me out this time, you know, um, right. when we reviewed it. I thought the Super Brawl match was way better than I remember it uh, yeah. when we watched it again. You know, it, like... To me, that was a four and a half, and really, it's kind of on the cusp for me of being a like it's a four and three quarters. Um, the beach, you know, the rude uh, steamboat Iron Man is one of the greatest WCW matches ever. Um, also, four and three. Did I even go five on it this time? This is a fantastic. Uh, yeah, I think you went slightly four and three quarters, but I mean, for both of us, like that. To me, that's like your cutoff. Like that is the absolute cutoff where that anything better than that, I get five stars. Anything worse is four and three quarters. Yeah, like that's it's, that's it's, that match. If, if it's four and three quarters, it's the best one. Um, yeah, yeah, it's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and then I have to go number four on a window, which I loved. I gave it four and three quarters, and. I, I think, I mean, even listening to, to your notes, Chad, and I think I'd probably stick with that racing, just knowing knowing the sort of stuff I love. Um, I, I just think that second fall in particular with Arn on, on top is just exactly the sort of thing I love. Um, and then the fifth match, I think, is going to be Vader versus Sting from Starcade. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. I, which, which we reviewed last time. So, I mean, that's a really strong, strong five matches for the oh, year. Yeah. I mean, even even some of those, like, Steiner's MVC matches and the, uh, the, I mean, like, I really liked the tag title switch we watched tonight, and that didn't, I mean, that was something I contemplated giving, like, four of a quarter to. So, it, just a strong year overall for match quality. Now, before we do the, um, now, before we do the top five wrestlers, Chad, I have to ask you, if you had to take this or night eighty nine, where'd you go? Ooh. It's gotta be between those two, wasn't it? From what Yeah, I I think it's between those two. Mm, maybe there's more hidden gems when the Crockett set gets released for eighty nine TV. Well, eighty six is a strong year, I seem to have Yeah, eighty six is strong for T V. Um, and the super shows, I mean, that Starcade's pretty good with some standout matches. Uh, I think, I think I'd still have to lean 89 just because 
I mean, like the the top five here is you know amazing stuff, but my top five from '89 is like five star matches <laughs> all across the board. Uh, so I kind of well, have to lean fun, that way. Fun. Okay, here's a, maybe a more interesting question then, um, because I, I think I'd lean '89 as well, just because the quality is so high in that year. And, right. and you've got you know the man himself and Flair's not not around in ninety two, um, but uh, how about this? Sting's ninety two, or Luger's eighty nine? Oh yeah, that's interesting. Um, oh man, I think I may have to lean Sting, which I wouldn't have expected, but uh, that's really close. Yeah, I think it's close too. I mean, I I lean Luger just because I love heels, but uh, I think Sting really came into his own in this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he had a strong they, year for himself. Coming of age years, I, I I just think that maybe on average Luger's match quality may be higher. Um, I think it's like Pillman and uh, did he wrestle Pillman in '89? Yeah, that yeah. and then also the uh, Steamboat match from St- Great American Bash. Steamboat, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just feel that, you know, he may, he just may have a few more like, and I don't know, he just felt like a really, really good US champion, even like stuff like the Michael Hayes match and stuff like that. Um, I like closest thing that we get to like Luger carry job in his career. <laughs> um, if that makes any sense is during that year. Um, whereas, uh, like, like, how can I put this? Luger made me feel in 89 that he could have gone on if worked in the right way to be a successor to Ric Flair. Right. Yeah. Whereas I don't, I mean, as good as Sting's 92 was, I don't think I ever got the impression he could have been a successor to Ric Flair. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. With all of that said, top five workers. Uh, so we do the top five and then our absolute number one, right? The Ric Flair. Top five and then the Ric Flair award. Okay. So so this is tough, too, because I'm actually leaving somebody on the floor that I uh, love. But uh, from five to one in this grouping, I'm going Dustin Rhodes at number five. Okay. R- really strong year. Kind of came into his own. Uh, you know, a little bit overmatched at the beginning of the year. I think you saw it by the January 4th match. And I thought... This was cool from the TV perspective, seeing his progression from the January 4th match where Orange clearly leading to the match versus Vader where he feels kind of like an equal at points. Yeah. Uh, number four, Sting, really probably his standout year in ring for his career, I believe. Um, I just can't imagine another year's going to top it. I, I can't think of one offhand for sure. Um, oh, you don't like his TNA runs? No, <laughs> I, I, I can't say. I mean, he has some like sneaky good Nitro matches in 98, but yeah, I, I don't, not with Wolfpack stink. Uh, number three, Barry Wyndham. Um, I thought this was a really strong year for him again in tags, again in uh, singles matches. Looked like a really strong, big baby face uh, worker, which really helped. Number two, Arn Anderson, probably somebody I wouldn't have put on this list if it wasn't for the TV, but he was tremendous in this TV stuff we watched. Stand out, um, stand out yeah. in a lot of it, yeah. Right, so that really kind of catapulted him up the rankings here. 
And, uh, of course, it comes down to two people, and I'm thinking we may be on the same page here, but my number one before I get to my Ric Flair is Rick Rude. Yes. Um, not, not a lot needs to be said about his 92. I think we've dissected it well part here, and I think, uh, you know, I've came to the conclusion that I don't think his 92 alone was enough to justify a wrestler ever ranking for him. No. Um, it was a really great year, though. That's nothing to take away from his year. It was a great year, uh, but I just don't think it was an absolutely kind of transcendent year. I, I just think, I mean, um, and I mean, it, it should be you should have been able to work out who Chad's Ric Flair award is. It's not Vader, people. <laughs> uh, Vader was my uh, number six on yeah. this list. Yeah, but yeah, but yes. Um, and one of the things I thought, Chad, is that it's been, I think it was, was talked up on the board in terms of being like a kind of Ric Flair in 89 or a, or a, I don't know, um, a, a Masawa in uh, 92 type year or Jumbo yeah. in like Jumbo in 92, say. Or, yeah, Jumbo in 89. I mean, or with all Jumbo the in eight, stuff. Like, yep. it's not or Flair in 85 or whatever, whichever you want to pick. Like, these, when I think of like the absolute top stuff, um, and I, I just don't think it's, it was talked about as if it was on that sort of level. And I, I just think that <sighs> the, the stuff against Chono hurts him. The some of the like, if it was going to be a year on that level, some of these matches that we watched tonight should have been hitting four and a half stars. You know, I think to be to be. Yeah, I I mean, it's underneath matches like they weren't like the matches with Pillman and Dustin were interesting to watch in that way because yeah, I mean they're not bad at all, and they're they're short, so it's like you can't ask for too much more. But I, I, I certainly wouldn't call either one of those two matches great. Like, I didn't think they were great at all. I thought they were just, you know, good, you know, big guy versus underneath type matches, which, again, is good. I mean, he's number two for the year. He had a great year. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, for me, I'd take Santanico's 1984 year over this. Um I, I Again, I just think it's been a little bit overhyped. I mean, where... Yeah. In his Kabashi '93, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, in his thread, it was essentially, you know, I'm voting for him based on '92. And well, I mean, this is what led me to to even leave the board for a while, Chad, where people were taking like Rude based on '92 over like DBRC's entire career. I was like, this. this I mean, I, I obviously looking back, I was silly to get annoyed, but um, it, it was like it was that that I was trying to like. I'm just trying to say how much people were waiting is 92 it was like well his 92 was that good that you could basically take it over somebody somebody like ted's entire career right. um, and that like this yeah. may be uh, sacrilege to you but somebody like chris hero this year i would take his two th- put it on par with roots 92 so right okay that's, that's a modern kind of a modern perspective there yeah well i i, I mean you know i'm not going to disagree I'm also not going to watch any Chris Hero matches. <laughs> You'd actually, I think, would like Chris Hero. It, it, to, to be to be honest, from what I've uh, heard of him, and I've actually seen a little bit of Chris Hero, I think I think um, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah. 
So, um, for my, I, my top five is a little bit different from yours, Chad, um, yeah. because you've left out some people who I really did think were in contention. Yeah. My number five was Bobby Eaton. I, I thought Eaton Ooh. had a strong year. Um, he's helped by the TV that we watched. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he's strong in a lot of the Dangerous Alliance multi-mans. Um, and, you know, I just love Bobby Eaton. And I think this is probably the last year that he's ever going to be in contention for this award for us. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, um, it's kind of last year of super relevancy, I would say. So, yeah, I wanted a, you know, historical pick uh, in some ways. But That's, it's, it's really kind of weird to think about, like, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, of course, Eaton hangs around. He wrestles for a long time after this. But. Like, that's a relatively pretty short peak if you think about it. You know, I mean, like, because you're talking about, what, 84? I'd give to, him I'd give him 84 to, or even even 83 if you watch the Memphis stuff. He's got some really right. good stuff there until right. now. So nine years at best. Yeah. And, I mean, you think about, like, I would say Cena has been 12 years and going by yeah. now. So it, it, it's kind of... One of those things where, I mean, it feels like he was around forever, but yeah, I mean, nine years. Does, that, does Eaton join, like, Status Stable and stuff like that? What happens to him now? I can't remember. Yeah, he does the Blue Blood stuff that's for a, a while. That's a little bit later. That's it? later. Um, I, I know they were trying to, I can't remember when him and Kern was supposed to be a tag team. So he's um, not part of Colonel Parker, Parker's deal? Right? No, that was uh, Buck. Arn's in that one, isn't he? Yeah, Buck, Arn, and the fun, the fun uh, Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. So, yeah, he's he's pretty, I mean, he's pretty irrelevant after this. So, that, that's, it's just an interesting thing. I mean, yeah, to, to, again, take some of your indie workers, like Chris Hero has been going strong since 2001. So, he's got 15 years now. So, kind of kind of weird. But, yeah, so uh, kind of a nod to Bobby. Okay, so that, that was my number five. Now I have to keep this in my head here. My number four, Chad, was Dustin Rhodes. Okay. Um, I mean, you've got to consider, like a year before this, he was having that 10-minute match with Ted. Right. And now he's having matches at, the, uh, you know, phenomenal performance levels for somebody who's green in the business. I mean, compare him to like an Eric Watts or like a... He's just, I mean, you've got to say he's a product, you know, or like Bagwell or someone like that. He is a phenomenon, I would say. Uh, Dustin is. So I think that, like, based on his performance levels versus his... Or even Austin, Chad. Like, oh, yeah. Austin's more seasoned than Dustin here, and Dustin looks like the more polished performer to me. So Yeah, yeah. I thought Dustin was better than Austin in 92. Yeah. Um, so that's number four. Number three... Um, I will uh, say is um, who else have we got here? Um, Got to put Sting. Yeah. Uh, I just think Sting standout year. Um, big. I mean, I think being as over as he was helped a lot, but we've seen him be over and not embrace it before. And I, I, I almost want to say that, like the shadow of Flair being gone, has helped Sting come out of his shell a bit more as a as a main event as being the man um so this is the first time to me that he feels like he could be the man although he's never going to be a rick flair if that makes any sense 
Um, so that was Sting, and then Arn, and my number one, um, just behind the eventual award winner, is the same as you, Chad, Rick Rude. Okay. So we have the same one and two. Yep. Same top three, actually. Same too. top three. Yeah. I mean, Arn, I mean, this, like, I want to say this might be Arn's best year as well, maybe? Ooh, yeah, that's tougher. I mean, he's got, um, the thing is, he's got a lot of quality in the in the mid eighties. On yeah, Orange just doesn't have a bad year. Um, no, yeah, it's it's tough. Maybe eighty six, but I'm not positive. I, I just don't think he's got any like in this year. He's got the Wyndham match, and I I don't forget. I really like that Steamboat match he has as well. Um, plus right. all plus being in the War Games, plus being in that eight man. And all of the six men on top. I mean, I just don't think that there's any other year where he has that much quality. Yeah, it kind of sucks at the end of the year with his contract dispute and doing the feud with Watts. That was bad. I mean, I I guess Bill trusted Arn to help put over his kid, but um, kind of screwed Arn towards the end of the year. You know, like if he... Arn has some sneaky good years coming up as well. Though. Like, he's still good in 95 and 96, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, we've got lots of Arn to come. Yeah, 94, 95 are good Arn years for sure. Um, so we've both gone. It's obviously Steamboat is the Ric yep. Flair Award winner. Yeah, Steamboat's uh, my Ric Flair Award winner. And, you know, we were talking about it earlier. And, you know, I, I think this is Steamboat's best year of his career. I mean, this is a... Uh, yeah, I can't exactly remember right offhand where I had him for GWE. I know it was up pretty high, top 15, I want to say. But um, I, I think this was his best year, and I think this really kind of solidifies a case for him being at that level as one of the best of all time because he has the other tremendous years too. But but this year he put it all together, uh, showed some fire, so some of his critiques – as being a goofy baby face. I mean, I, I just seem to remember like in 92 steamboat more him kind of insulting rude doing the atomic drop and kind of those weird sort of facials that, uh, you know, when we started this podcast, I referenced those four years ago as a reason I may not be quite as high on steamboat in some regards, but, um, really watching this stuff that was toned down. I mean, I think most of his stuff in 92, he showed a good edge and, was just kind of the consummate uh, baby face that so, you want. So you think this is a better year than Holy Trilogy plus the Funk match and the yeah, I mean, match? I mean that's 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 what's in contention. But I mean, this is such a great year, and I think he had such varied performances, and he gave such fire that I think I'm gonna go for that. And I mean, Steamboat, I had, I mean, his '86 is really strong too. Uh, He's got a great match with uh, Bob Orton Jr. in that year. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think I think this year probably tops his eighty nine. It's close. It's really close. Mm. Well, I, I'd say like the, he probably has the better matches in eighty nine, but in terms of what Steamboat is bringing to the tick, because you've got to remember he wasn't over in eighty nine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean in eighty nine, you got to think he was the baby face, and Flair was getting cheered for a lot of those matches. Um, here, you know, nobody was really cheering rude and rude kind of is a cool type heel in some regards, you know, and yeah. they were still able to, you know, make steamboat be the face. That's kind of, uh, 
a good tip in the cap to Steamboat and Stink, where you can say, yeah, I mean, again, the attendance and stuff wasn't good for this year in WCW, but the people that were into it were into it. Highly invested, and all those guys were able to kind of control the crowd and get the desired crowd reaction throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously ridiculous to say it's a, it's a revelation to say that Steamboat was great in 1992 because it's Ricky Steamboat and right. you know, he's a but to me for him to be as good as he was was actually a bit of a revel like he was just like so good in everything he did that it was out it was almost going to hit me between the eyes like god he was on fire in this year um and uh i mean we've got more steamboat to come he, he he's got another he's got all the way until 94 hasn't he yeah um, two more years and i mean i know his 93 has some strong stuff in 94 too with the stuff with austin and the tip with flair so I wonder. I wonder what it was that lit a fire under Steamboat in '92. Because it maybe maybe had more of a point to prove uh, to people, or maybe it's just because we've got more of him, like kind of week in week out. I don't know what it is, but there's something. Something does definitely click in everything that he does. Um, I mean, Jim Ross and commentary calls the uh, the arm. Uh, he, he calls it the. Poetry, you know the arm drag. He says it's right. poetry, emotion. It re- I mean, it's just phenomenal performer. I think too, if you take Steamboat and like stretch it out and look at his, because you know, remember he came back in November at Clash Seventeen and ninety one. Yes, and that's like one of the you know best matches of all time for WCW. So if you if you stretch that out and go from that up into 93 um i mean man that's like one of the best 15 month stretches of anybody it i mean it is phenomenal um and you know we're including shane douglas in that so <laughs> yeah because because he has the stuff with the 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 feud he has with the blondes in early 93 i really mm. enjoyed as well well that's the next thing i'm looking forward to watching again i mean i've right. got really fond memories of watching it back in the day so um great all right chad well uh we have finished our awards um send us any thoughts you've got i mean why don't if you're a long time listener to this show i'd like to know like it, would you have it any differently would you would you disagree with us in any of these you know would you have a different top five match list or a different wrestler list like neither of us listed vader for example no. i can see arguments for vader you know this being one of yeah. vader's oh, yeah. banner years um and he's considered a elite elite worker isn't he so yeah, yeah i think uh, especially if you take into account maybe the um the japan stuff but yeah even in wcw he had some strong stuff as well so, and uh, what are we watching next time? Uh, it'll be another Clash. I guess, what, Clash 22? Is that right? <laughs> Something like that. Oh, my God. The Clashes really start to run together a little bit, but uh, that, that'll that be the next uh, adventure here. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to getting into 1993. It's not going to be as good as 92, but there may be more kind of, I mean, there's a lot of backstage. I mean, yeah. Eric comes in. Uh, kind of an interesting year, I guess. Yeah, and I've got some interesting thoughts. I mean, I'll just preempt it by saying, like, when I watch these, I get like I watch them all again. I would say in about two thousand six, two thousand seven, sort of time. Um, so, so before I was on the PWO scene, but uh, you know, within 
the past 15 years, I, I watched all of these shows again. And uh, my thought back then was that even when Eric Bischoff comes in, he was kind of building something that wasn't the Hogan thing um, that happens in 94. Like, I, it, felt, it feels like he's building something else. And that is kind of forgotten in the overall scheme of things. So I'm interested to see how it plays out this, you know, when we watch it again, Chad, because my, my feeling is that, is that there's something nice, you know, I'm thinking about people like uh, Bagwell and Scorpio and Johnny B. Bad and like even people like Davey Boy who come back. It feels like something else is building and that WCW could have been another promotion before it becomes WWF light. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it's not quite JCP. It's not Crockett. It's something new, but it's also not what WCW would become when you know it's the D- Dungeon of Doom and all that nonsense. Yep. So that's something to look forward to in '93, and uh, well, uh, hopefully we'll be back in decent time for that one. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.